We've made our way to Genesis chapter 22, and as we continue on in our study of Genesis tonight, one of those passages that is so applicable to our lives, because whether you want to realize it or not, whether you've seen it yet or not, whether you are going through one or not, your faith is going to get tested. And in fact, your faith is going to be continually tested. And tonight we really kind of see Abraham's final exam. And though it would not be the final test, this would be the test of all tests for Abraham. We'll take the first five verses tonight. And... As you think about your own life and as I think about mine, as you think about what happens when you take a test, if you've been, uh, maybe for many of you, it's been a while since you've been in school or maybe it's been a while since you've taken a test of any kind, but generally speaking, a final exam is the test that you take that kind of sums up all of the knowledge that you have on the subject in a given class. And so it's usually at the end of the year. Uh, It is that last test before you get to say goodbye maybe to that subject matter. And while that's not specifically true in Abraham's case because he will be tested again, uh, it is true in the knowledge sense. He has now spent all this time, he has been sojourning with the Lord for 25 years. He left Ur of Chaldees, he headed to Haran, and from Haran he's headed to Canaan, from Canaan he went to Egypt, from Egypt he came back to Canaan, he moved down south to Sodom, he's now moved slightly west, Uh, he'll end up eventually in Shechem, and he has been tested all along the way, and now he's going to get that final exam. And so as we look at these verses, I I, I pray that you can glean some things for your own life out of this incredible passage of Scripture that is just five verses tonight. So would you pray with me? Lord, we have come again just to simply study your word, to read it distinctively, to give it sense and meaning exactly as Nehemiah and Ezra did for the children of Israel. And so as we come to this incredible story, this test, you, you state very plainly exactly what you're doing here, and so we don't have to guess at the interpretation. Uh, it's not unknowable to us. It's very plain in verse 1, and we pray that you would just strengthen us and encourage us, bless us, Lord, with the knowledge of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 And now it came to pass after these things. After what things? After 25 years of Abraham and Sarah's journey of faith. After these things, the promise was made and God's now going to bring into absolute fruition the the power of this promise that was made. Through you, Abraham... The Messiah will come through you, Abraham. The nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. You're going to become the father of a multitude. 
And you talk about testing whether Abraham's going to be the father of a multitude or not. He sent Ishmael, his son, who is dead spiritually away. He's down to one son. Amen? And his name is Isaac. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham? And he said, Abraham said, here I am. When God calls, it's a good thing to listen. You may not like what he has to say, though. Not everything that God says to us is something that we go, you know, I was just thinking, boy, I'd like to see if I can take my son to Mount Moriah and if you will test and see if I will put him to death or not. Not something you're going to choose. But it was the test that God had for Abraham. And then he said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, who's obviously not his only biologic son, but is his only son in the spirit, his only son that was born uh, to Sarah, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Now the land of Moriah, the word Moriah means God foresees. God knows is another way to look at it. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine what Abraham is thinking at that moment? God's going to test him. God has asked the question, Abraham, where are you at? He said, here I am. And the first thing he hears is take your only son that you love and make him a burnt offering. I want you to notice the response. I hope someday to reach this place. Because I can tell you right now, your pastor's not there yet. Your pastor is not there yet. There would have been a whole, there would have been about 5,000 verses between the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. Say, what? (laughs) Okay, could you repeat that? Could you tell me why this is necessary? Think of your own lines of reasoning and questions that you might be asking God. But notice what Abraham does. He doesn't say a thing. It's not recorded here if he does. And so Abraham rose early in the morning. Man, I would have put that. That would have been like almost dark. Uh, It wouldn't have been early. And straddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. This is just a little tiny detail. But when you look at it, he was all in. He was all in. There was no half-hearted effort here. There was no, well, kind of, sort of, maybe. He got up early. He grabbed two men to go with them, straddles his donkey. He even chops wood. He split the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place 
of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a place afar off. It wasn't like it was right next door. He's on a long journey. He had lots of opportunity here to bail. Amen? He's on his third day. It's like, this is nonsense. Son, we're flipping around. I must have misheard the Lord. You know, any of you ever had situations where you know God's at work in your life? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening ever. You know, it seems like the longer we dwell on things, sometimes the less sure we are that it was God that spoke. And we see Abraham just steadfast in his faith. And he, and he saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, his son, and I'm going to go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. This is the real school of faith here. This is the real deal. This is a place I think most Christians hope they never have to go. But virtually every Christian has to go. It's the place that we want to avoid, but it's the place that we learn the most. It's where our faith deepens. It's where our love for God actually ultimately grows. It's the place of testing. The sum, the totality of your learning of faith is what's in view here. It's the final exam, really, for Abraham. Everything from here could be judged by this one single event. Because there there's almost nothing conceivable that could be tougher for him to trust God in than this one. And that's the beauty of our lives with the Lord. As you trust God, as you see God work, as you rest and trust in your faith, as you actually act on the faith that God's given you, your trust in the Lord actually grows. And when he takes you through something monumental and you come out the other side and you see the faithful hand of God, that test stands at the pinnacle of your understanding of who God is. You can say, I've already been there. I've been down that road before and I've seen God faithful. It becomes a defining moment. And I don't know what your most difficult subject matter was in all of your schooling, but when you get down to it, the one test that you always fear is the one in which you have not done well previously. Amen? So, so maybe, you know, it was some math class. Perhaps, uh, you know, you were not good at calculus. You're not good at thinking abstractly. Maybe it was, you know, just you're just not good with Greek history. Most people aren't good with Greek history. <laughs> but you've taken that test and you failed. Can we say together Abraham failed a lot of previous tests of faith? Amen? He wasn't exactly stellar in his test taking. But now he's about to be... a have a degree conferred upon him god's about to sign his degree his diploma if you will of faith 
And so God simply sets out to test him. And if you think about it, in James chapter 1, it says this. If you want to turn there, you can. But in verse 2, it says, my brethren. Sometimes when I read passages like this, I go, could I have like a different name? Don't include me in this group. (laughs) My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count for it correctly. Do the proper math. Put it where it belongs. Categorize it. Put it in the right file folder. Stick that test where it belongs in your life. Knowing that the, notice this, the same word here in the Greek, there in Genesis and Hebrew, test or testing, the testing of your faith when God said, I'm going to test you, Abraham. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, God doesn't incite us. God doesn't entice us. God God doesn't put us into situations to kind of press your buttons. You probably have people in your life that they know exactly what to do to get you to respond negatively. Amen? Amen? God doesn't do that. He's never looking for a negative result. He's not taking you and putting you into a situation hoping that when he presses the button, go, see, what a failure. He's testing you so that you will know what he already knows. Because he's not lacking in understanding or knowledge. He's not sitting there going, well, I just don't know how Jeff's going to handle this. He, of course, knows how I'm going to handle it, but I don't. And so he tests me so that I can learn from it. I go through that test and all of a sudden it's like, Lord, finally I got that equation correct. I passed, and I do my little happy dance. But here's the good thing. When you learn the lesson, you usually don't have to repeat that one unless you do what we call backsliding, going backwards, and God has to give you a tune-up. Verse 13 there, same, same book, same chapter, James chapter 1. Now, I want you to see a different word. Because very often we confuse trials, testing, and temptation. And we'll get to this in just a little bit. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Tempting and trials and testing are not the same thing. Hang on to this. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So if you're facing a temptation, you can be absolutely certain, sure, that it did not come from God. And the reason you know the difference between a trial and temptation, the end result of all temptation is evil. Always. 100% of the time. The net result is, in essence, a test, but that test is coercing you towards evil that's not God God allows you to be tempted but he himself does not tempt you ever but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed who's the enticer of the brethren the enemy 
the world, your flesh, the devil. You have a hand in it. You have thoughts. You have hormones. You have actions that you undertake. You have all these things. Those things are capable of adding to the level of temptation. God doesn't tempt. God doesn't entice. He doesn't incite. He's not sitting there poking your buttons. He's not going to put you into something that you're not able to bear. Then when that desire is conceived and it gives birth to sin, notice what happens. So we know God's not the author of sin. When it's full grown, it brings forth death. You see, unchecked temptation leads to sin and sin that's unchecked leads to death and that kind of death leads to eternal damnation. Now praise God for grace because you can be saved from your sin, amen? Hallelujah. Important to remember First Peter chapter 1, also, in this you greatly rejoice, it says in verse 6, for a little while, if need be, that you've been grieved by various trials. Now here's a little different word. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. And so there's a picture here of a very tiny, minute difference between a test that comes from God and a temptation that comes from the enemy. They can look similar, so be careful. I'll give you a couple little secrets on how to deal with these things in a moment or two. See, here's the deal. We're all going to go through tests. We are all going to be tempted. But the net result of tests is good, and the net result of temptation can be good if you do not yield to the temptation. God is always at work in our lives, working out the details, proving our faith. The enemy is trying to prove that you don't have any faith, that God is not real. And so he puts sinful things in your way so that you will bite on those temptations. The age of 75, as Abraham enrolls in the school of faith, he's now over 100 years old and he's still going through growing experiences. Get it? He's had a solid faith walk with the Lord for 25 years and he's still in the school of faith. So don't be surprised if you're still in the school of faith. Every pastor I've ever met has some area where God is testing his faith, including me. It's been well said the first 40 years of life gives us kind of the text or the context and it's the final 30 or 40 that actually give us the commentary Give us the interpretation of what happened in those first 40 years. We say it a different way. It, it's amazing when you get older that you now know what you didn't know when you were younger. You, you go through those things, you realize that, you know, God was at work in that situation that you thought he had just forsaken you in. You, you see, this passage is so applicable to our lives because we 
work in time in this world. God created in the beginning. God starts the time clock of human history. Uh, And he puts forth time into our lives. There's a Bavarian castle that's in Innsbruck, Austria, we went to. And there's an inscription on the side of this clock tower. And it says, and I I won't try and do it in German um, because it would, I'd butcher it. It's just, I'm rusty. But in English, it says, when I was a child, I laughed and wept and time crept. And when I was a youth, I dreamed and talked and time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran, and later as I grew older, time flew, and soon I shall find that while traveling on, time is gone. You see, we only have so much time here on this earth. And God's going to put you through things while you're still here so that you can be the very best you you can be for him. Time is very precious. And so we go through some great tests, and you you can expect those tests. Just know they're coming. If God would test Abraham regarding the one who's going to bear the Messiah, now think about this, because the name Moriah means foreseen, or foreseen of Jehovah, or foreseen of God, or God sees is another way to look at it. If God knew what was coming, God knew what Abraham was going to do. And so from God's side of the equation, this could be kind of a futile effort because he already knows what's going to happen. So we know that God is purposeful, willful, and he doesn't do anything by accident. So the only side of the equation is the time side of the equation because God's in eternity and you're not and I'm not. So in our time side of eternity, God gives us these tests so that we will completely understand who he is because he already knows who you are and I am. God's God's looking at this whole situation and what happens is in our lives we kind of need to be readjusted back to God's heavenly timetable from from time to time, don't we? Back to God's heavenly way of doing things periodically, don't we? I do. Sometimes I get ahead of God. Sometimes I get behind God. Sometimes I try and tell God that he's running the universe incorrectly. I know you guys wouldn't do that, but every once in a while I'm like, God, come on, I got this, all right? It's like, I really don't need you today, not this. I mean, this is simple. Look, I can handle it. But the fact of the matter is, is I constantly need God to work in my life, to test me. And it's amazing to me how many tests... I get to repeat. Now, sometimes they're just little tests. They're just little things that you don't quite get right. I, I, in, again, in mathematics, you know, it's, as you sit there and work out an equation, you, you leave out, you know, a single minus sign somewhere in there, and the whole equation's wrong. Amen? You've got absolutely everything else right, but it's missing a minus sign, so the answer is actually, it's, instead of negative, it's positive. Sometimes our lives are like that. It's because we're not on God's heavenly timetable. If you have a watch, now now most of us now have digital watches, and so this analogy is a little bit out of date, Um, but I think it still applies, and most of you can understand it. You remember back when most of us had watches that you had to wind, amen? 
If, if you're in here and you're under 30, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we had, you know, you would wind them and, you, and, and you'd wind them. And as they began to wind down, they would slow down and the spring in there wasn't quite moving the mainspring fast enough and so they would be off time. The maker of the watch understood this, also understanding that periodically you would have to reset the hands, correct? Because here's the real reason for a watch. It keeps you actually in sync with the heavens, doesn't it? When you tell time, it tells of the rotation of the earth in its totality one time every 24 hours. And while the earth is spinning at 22,000 Uh, miles an hour and it rotates around and ultimately in 24 hours it comes back to where it started your watch is keeping that time but it's really a heavenly thing that's happening and so in order to keep you synced up with the heavens the maker of the watch put a winder on the side and every once in a while five minutes off and you adjust it back to the right time Jesus is that watchwinder. Those tests put you back in sync with the heavens. And you need that. I need that. I look down, I'm off slightly, the test says so. And so I need to pull that little winder out and wind it back and make sure the spring is is tightened and, and now I can set the time so that it keeps the proper time. And by his gracious provision, God sent Jesus into this world from outside of time to make sure that we were in sync with heaven. God's making good on that promise to Abraham. But here's the problem with Abraham. He's a work in progress. Everyone in this room is a work in progress, myself included. Everyone. Unless you're here tonight, your name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I don't think he's with us physically present, so there's nobody in here who's perfect, amen? So here's what happens. Your whole life, you're like Abraham, you're under some R&D. You're in research and development mode. And so what's happened in Abraham's life is all these tests. The first thing he had was a family test, right? He goes and hangs out with his father-in-law. He he has a family test. Now that test didn't actually go so well. He kind of failed in a couple of points of that. The second test that we see him in is a famine test. There's provision. And he doesn't do really good with that test. He's kind of had some things that he could have done a little differently. The third test that we see is a fellowship test in the life of Abraham. And so now he's kind of got that squared away and he's back in fellowship with the Lord. He goes back to his tent and his altar. He's back where he's supposed to be. He passes that one. Then he goes and does this fighting test where these kings are going to battle and he kind of messes up and then he makes that one right. That was a test. And then he has the fortune test. God makes him rich. And so he's got all this money, he's got cattle, he's got you know, places to be and things to do. And so he has a fortune and he kind of you know, has some good points, bad points on that one. Then the fatherhood test. 
that's actually been the one test that he should have passed from the get-go because that was the promise, right? But he doesn't quite get that one the first time. And then the seventh test that we saw him was this farewell. He's got to say goodbye to these people that he loves. It's like, Ishmael, you got to go. Hagar, you got to go. I mean, it's been good, but see ya. That was a bummer. He passes that one. And then tonight, fatality. Something that is absolutely, when it's done, it's done. He hasn't had to have that one yet. So he has all these tests that he goes through. And and though he doesn't pass them cleanly, he gets a C on most of them. Amen? You know, he, he's, he's, he's going through these difficult things. And we see this going all the way back uh, to really to chapter 11. So for the last 11 chapters, Abraham's going through test after test after test after test after test. And he experiences all this stuff at a very personal level. Now, why is this important to us? Because every last one of these things... He had to determine whether this was temptation or a trial. Whether this was something that he was going to go, grow from because God gave it to him and it was necessary, or whether this was a temptation to sin. Now, if you think about those tests, there was an element of temptation in almost every one of them. But the trial side of it, you see, because temptations come from within us. That's why that passage in James is so important. The temptations are within us. They come from our members, our, our, our warring selves, if you will. And so we sit there and it's like, so you've got a little bit of greed going on there. That would cause a fortune problem, right? You, you got multiple wives, got a little bit of a lust thing going on there. You can kind of see how there was some temptation in each one of them. But along with them, God comes along and says, okay, we're going to take that temptation. We're going to turn this into a trial. And that trial is actually going to be used for some good in your life. You see the world, the flesh, and the devil is behind the temptation. But the trials come from the Lord. One is for evil. One seeks to destroy. The other seeks to build you up in the faith. Temptations bring out the worst in you, the worst in me. Very often, unless you pass that temptation test, if you pass the temptation test, then it also was a trial that God can use. But if you fail at it, it brings out sin. It brings out the worst. So you get to choose whether that temptation turns into a test and a trial and is used for good or that temptation remains from the world of flesh and the devil and you act on it and it is used by the enemy for evil in your life. The choice is yours, generally speaking. Trials the Holy Spirit uses to bring out the very best, to grow our character. Can I tell you that temptations very often seem logical? They even seem right. They seem like they make you feel better. I'm going to entertain this behavior. I'm going to do this thing. And I'll I'll pleasure myself, basically. I'll, I'll get what I need out of it. 
The trials often seem very unreasonable. Especially when you're denying a temptation because the temptation seemed good. And when you deny it, it's like, man, I'm missing out. But because you allowed it to become a trial, God can use it. And not caving into the temptation now actually does something good in your life. You see how it works? God's behind the scene orchestrating. He wants to use those things. The way to help with this is to focus on the promises, not the explanations. You see, we want an explanation for everything. We live in the TED video age. We live in the cell phone, Google me this, Google me that age. We want a reason for everything. It's one of the reasons we do ask the pastor. People want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. But can I tell you, when God allows something in your life, he actually has a reason behind it. And very often, he's not actually going to share with you that reason. So there are some things that you can glean from God allowing those things into your life. God is God, and he does not owe you an explanation. Lock that one in. Tuck it away for later. God doesn't have to check in with you. He doesn't dial you up on the God phone and going, hey, I'm, getting, I'm planning on doing this in your life. Is that okay with you? Uh, you're you're going to lose your job. Are you all right with that? No, he's got a test. The enemy wants to tempt you, so the enemy's saying, well, I'm just going to do whatever I, I can do to get you to try and keep that job that God's trying to remove because he has something better for you. He wants to test you and you want to have ha, you want to take the temptation and cave into it because you don't want to go through the test you don't want to go through the trial and so you start asking god the why question you see your faith really hasn't been tested until these things happen when god asks you to bear that which seems unbearable that's a god thing amen because if you can just do it you really don't see god that much when it's just natural to you to be able to go through that situation. And I will tell you, God's going to do these things in your life till the day you go home to be with Jesus. When God asks you to do that, it seems unreasonable. In other words, in your own power, your own strength, it's impossible. He's not going to tell you why. He's just going to say, Jeff, I need you to do this. And to expect the result that seems impossible. Because remember, with God, all things are possible. Amen? Without him, you can do nothing. But by him and through him, you can do all things. So it has to start in the unbearable. It has to start in the unreasonable. It needs to be an impossible thing. That's where God tests us. That's where he does his greatest work. So are there any reasonings behind these things? Yes, there are. First Peter chapter 1 tells us that maybe you're going through that to purify your faith. Now I'm going to tell you with these three things that I have here, and there are a bunch more. I just picked out a few. With these three things, I hate every last one of them. Just being honest here. How about to perfect your character? Again, that James chapter 1 passage. 
Oh, I'm already perfect, Lord. Thank you very much. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. To know me is to love me because I get more perfect every day. Yeah, we, we already think we've arrived, right? So we don't need to be perfected. I'm good. I hate it when God perfects my character. Because what he takes out is all the yucky stuff. And I've kind of grown to actually like my yucky stuff. And you probably have too, right? You got that little bit of anger, a little bit of bitterness. Oh, it's just, oh, it's, just it's, it's righteous indignation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Actually, it's your flesh and God's trying to deal with it. And so he's perfecting your character. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials because you're being perfected. Second Corinthians chapter 12. How about to protect you from sin? How about to keep you from being susceptible to temptation? The problem is we gravitate towards sin, don't we? There's a few things still left in our old nature. It's like, yep, still doing some struggling. You don't have to say yes. I'll say yes for you. Y'all do. There are some things going on in your lives. I can tell you right now, there's some stuff you're struggling with. And maybe to you it seems like nothing. Maybe it even seems as though you have the right to have that problem. Amen? Got some real up here. The rest of y'all, you need to kind of get in on this. There, there's, you know, we, we think of these, it's just like, well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I went through. You haven't walked in my shoes. You haven't been where I've been. If you understood my life, you'd know why I'm like that. I realize that the Bible says it shouldn't be that way, but... You know, for me, it's not sin. Oh, yeah, it's sin. And God's trying to protect you from it. And so he tests you in it to see if you've passed yet. It's like, nope, hasn't happened. It's like the game shows, you know, where they hit the X. It's like, you're out. So God's got his reasons. But he doesn't check in with you. He doesn't check in with me. Now to wrap this up and we'll transition over. Hebrews chapter 11. You can save it to read it later. But I want you to see how the writer of Hebrews applies this testing and the reasoning for it to the life of Abraham. He's the subject matter. He's case in point. He's the one, as you read Hebrews 11, the whole thing is about him. Abraham had no intention of bringing back a corpse from Mount Moriah. He was going. And he either believed that God wouldn't have him go through it or that God was going to raise him from the dead. That Isaac was going to live somehow because he made no provision for a funeral. So I can tell you, Abraham passes this test. Abraham believed God 
when he didn't know where he was going. That's how his story began. Abraham believed God when he did not know when this was all going to happen. And there in verse 10 it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There wasn't even a city built yet, and Abraham was trusting God for the city that wasn't built. Abraham trusted God when he did not know how. And there in verses 11 and 12 in Hebrews 11, it says, Abraham was as good as dead. Uh, That's not a recipe for, you know, generations coming from your loins. I'm almost dead. Perfect. My wife's an octogenarian. Awesome. He didn't know how. And he most assuredly did not know why. By faith, Abraham received those, by faith, substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. No empirical evidence is involved. You know in your spirit, you know in your soul, but it wasn't like he got a signed document on such and such a date you know, here's when Isaac's going to be born. A little picture of Isaac, you know, before he came. It's the baby photo. He didn't get any of that. So Abraham believed God and obeyed when he did not know where, when, how, or why these things were going to come about. You have to trust the professor of faith. Amen? That's God. That's who he is. I just have to believe his promises. They're eternal. They're in the heavens. It's up to him to make good on them. I'm just to believe them. You have to rest in what he has planned for you, his design for you. That's who God is. He's not mean-spirited. He's not angry. He's not mad at you. He has a plan for your life. As I quoted this morning, Jeremiah 29, 11 says his plans for you are to bless you. They're a future and a hope. You don't have to worry about from God's side whether they're good or not. Your final exams that you take, I take, they're for my good because I need them. And here's the deal. If you're in R&D of faith, if you're going through those things like Abraham did, it's because he wants to make sure of the design and he wants you to know that the design works that's why you do research and development you run product that's why they have those crazy machines in in detroit where we used to make most of our cars you know they put a door on there on the hinges that's on your car and they slam it seven million times why do they do that to make sure the hinges work to make sure the door latch works to make sure that it's properly weighted, to make sure that it's airtight. The reason they do research and development, the reason it gets tested is to make sure the product is good as designed. God already knows you're good as designed, but you don't know whether the design's gonna work or not. And so God says, let me test you. Amen? And so you just get that test and all of a sudden you go, you know, I've been through this before. And so God puts Jesus into our lives when we get a little off to rewind our watch to get us back on track with heaven's plans, keep the right time, 
which is always Jesus' time. Amen?